0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about faith. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know about what's happening at our church this summer. Due to COVID-19 and everything surrounding it, our services have moved outside. God has blessed our church with an incredible seven acres in North Wilsonville, and someday we'll have a building there. But in the meantime, it's a perfect solution for us to have church during all that's going on in our world we would love to have you join us and so if you want the information about what our services look like this summer you can go to wilsonville.church slash property gathering that's wilsonville.church slash property gathering we would love for you to join us for one of these outdoor services they're going to be fun they're going to be different it's going to be an exciting summer and so we hope that you'll consider joining us we'd love to meet you in person Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So, uh, so I got, I got poison oak out on the property. Everybody look down. Um, like uh, right out here I, and I, I'm very itchy. It's nice to not be in the sun right now. Don't worry By the way, I should say don't worry. We know exactly where the poison oak is Uh and michael if you know michael he plays keyboard for us often Michael was was clearing a bunch of branches and and I knew there was poison oak there But I didn't know he had gone into that section He kind of went rogue as we were cleaning up the property And he left a big pile of it there and he uh and and that night, I came back and I moved that pile so that you could drive through. This was last Saturday. And then uh, on, on Wednesday, I messaged my doctor and said, I think I have poison oak. And doctor said, yeah, that's poison oak. I sent him a picture. It would be a terrible thing to be a doctor, I think, right now, just getting pictures of everybody's rashes. Seems like a horrible gig. Uh, and then And then like five minutes later, Michael sent me a text and said, hey, I think I have poison oak. How are you? I was like, terrible, Michael, and it's your fault. Uh, that's pretty much what I told him. Um, but but I tell you that because it, I, it almost, my poison oak right now, not being able to sleep at night, uh, is almost, I'm wearing it as a, as a badge of honor because I grew up with this story. Uh, my great-grandfather was a uh, church planter in uh, multiple states but but he did a lot of work in the kind of Portland metro area. At the time it was farmland like uh, in Forest Grove. Now it's become part of the Portland metro area and my grandma has always told me this story uh, where my great-grandfather at the church I believe that that you might know is Village Church in the Beaverton Hillsboro area, uh, he planted that church, and they needed to clear the property in order to do a building project out there. And this is, you know, this is the old days. And so he went out there knowing there was poison oak, and he just cleared it. And I guess he had poison oak over his entire body. And and that story is significant to me because uh, he basically just looked at my grandma when she was a little kid and said, said somebody had to do it. And I've always you know, that for me as a pastor who's kind of followed in his footsteps has been a a good reminder that, you know, being a pastor doesn't mean just preaching or anything like that. Like somebody has to do it sometimes. And so when I got poison oak this week, which was not intentional, like he went out there knowing there was poison oak, me, I would have been far away. But I've worn it kind of as a badge of honor because it feels like, like following in the footsteps of, of a man I know that had great faith. And here's kind of the big idea for this morning is that I think if you're a Christian, then you want to be a person of great faith. But often, like, figuring out how to do that is really difficult. Last week, we gave this definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1. It's important for this series that we're going through, you know, the rest of the summer on faith to to have a definition of faith in mind, and it's this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about... About what we do not see. and I, if you're a Christian, you want you want to have that, you know, to the maximum capacity. But oftentimes, I think what happens is that we think there's like some kind of magic to the people who have great faith. Like I grew up with this, you know, Paul Bunyan figure of a great grandfather, and in my head, like he just had this this great faith that allowed him to just do whatever it took to move the church forward. And then we look at stories in the Bible of people of great faith and we see these incredible things that it accomplishes. And I think in our heads, we we make a great faith kind of the outcome of some magical moment or special anointing or something like that. Uh, But I think, I I believe that in the story we're going to look at today... And even as we go through the next couple of months and we look at these stories from the gospel of Luke where Jesus interacts with people's faith, where he talks about people's faith. I think what we're going to see is that faith, great faith doesn't come from something magical. It really comes, it starts with the thing that we're going to see in this story Today, in fact, as I considered the theme, as I as I studied this story, I looked at this story and thought about this story and prayed about this story that we're going to look at. Uh, it became clear to me that the idea that was emerging, that I that I feel like God laid upon my heart to preach this morning, the idea that was emerging, really is applicable in every, almost every, anyway, story of great faith in Scripture, and we'll come back to that at the end, but I think that I, as we face, you know, everything we're facing right now, like pick one of the topics, right? Like everything that we're facing, whether it's political divide or uh, fear of losing our rights or uh, a pandemic or uh, just everybody seeming angry all the time, you know, having trouble having conversations with their own family because, because they're idiots and they don't think correctly about things, you know, all of these things is really, I think, maybe you're not like me, maybe it's easy for you, but it's really stretching our faith, And so I think that this story becomes really important because it shows us how we can have faith no matter what the circumstances are. It shows us the first step in really having a great faith. And here is my proposition for this morning. It's pretty simple. Great faith knows that we are unworthy and God is trustworthy. Uh, let me just say it again. I'm going to say it a few more times in the sermon, but I hope you'll keep it in your head. Great faith knows that we are unworthy and God is trustworthy. Uh, before we look at our story uh, as a whole, let me remind you of, of this incredible verse. Let me give you, not remind you, this incredible verse that takes place at the end of this story. Luke 7, 9, near the end of the story we're going to look at today, this incredible thing is said. It says, when Jesus heard this, He was amazed at him, the central figure of our story today. He was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Another word for Jesus being amazed at this this man's faith is that he marveled at the faith. The Bible.org, I mention this this uh, resource almost every week. Use the Bible.org. It's an incredible resource. Uh, it, it defines this word as to wonder or marvel or be astonished, to look on with amazement. I'm personally, I want to have a faith that Jesus marvels at. I want to have such a great faith that Jesus is amazed, that he's astonished by my level of faith. And and, and because we read this, then we know that, that this man that's at the center of the story we're about to read, that we, we know that he is an example to be followed. And the question becomes, what is it about his example that we should follow? And that's what we're going to see this morning. Here's how that story begins in Luke 7, 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue so here's the situation a a centurion uh, which is a roman soldier uh, often that word is translated as captain wikipedia says a centurion was a professional officer of the roman army uh, around 107 bc and they commanded a century of around 80 legionnaires which is interesting because the word itself would imply that there's a hundred and most scholars i don't know why wikipedia has taken a a different stance but most scholars i I read anyway said that they commanded a hundred soldiers like, that's boring. Who cares what this guy did for a living? But in this story, his job description is actually really important. So just tuck that away. This is a Roman captain who, who had command over soldiers because we're going to come back to that near the end. Now, there's a couple other things here that are really important to understand that, that really help us to see how this man demonstrates kind of the foundation for an incredible faith. First, it says that he had a, a, a servant that he valued highly. Now, The language here, you know, it's not trying to be a demonstration of faith or anything like that. But I I do think considering what we talked about last week, here's what I said last week. Faith finds a way to get to Jesus and to get others to him too. I think it's important to put that with what we see here. Here this man highly values one of his servants and so it becomes his goal. He goes out of his way to make sure to bring that person's problems and issues to Jesus. As I said last week, that faith finds a way to get to Jesus and to get others to Jesus. I think it's really important to follow that up with, if you value somebody highly, then it follows that those people are people who, the, who you will bring to Jesus, who you will bring before Jesus. I would ask this question, what do you value highly? I would ask this question, who do you value highly? And whatever you answer those questions with, then faith calls you to bring those things, those people before Jesus. What does it mean to be brought before Jesus? Well, for sure, it means that we pray to Jesus on those people's behalf. I mean, that's maybe the clearest, easiest. Like, if we value people or we value something highly, then we must, then we must be praying for those things and those people. Surely, it means to evangelize people, to, to tell them about the good news of Jesus, that Jesus came, that he saw we were sinners, and that he died on a cross for those sins. Surely, it means that we tell people the good story of Jesus Surely it means that we encourage and inspire and set an example for other Christians. Uh, We all who are Christians, we know that all of our problems don't go away. We don't become magically perfect. Everything doesn't get better overnight. And so if we are other Christians, then it is our job to bring those people to Jesus by reminding them of the truths of Jesus, by encouraging them in their faith, by doing the, the things that God has called us to do so that they can follow in our footsteps. Paul even says that he suffered things in order that he might be encouragement to other people who are suffering those same things. And I think that is part of bringing people before Jesus. Faith faith brings people that we highly value before Jesus or things that we highly value uh, before Jesus. And and then there's this other part. It's interesting, this this centurion, he, he asks people, to go to Jesus on his behalf. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because we see throughout the gospels that that people freely come to Jesus. There's always crowds around Jesus. We even see that other Roman people who aren't Jewish feel comfortable coming to Jesus. But here, this guy, this Roman leader, he either asks or commands. I say commands because the Jewish people were oppressed by the Romans. So he would have had the power to say, go to Jesus. But he seems that he asked these Jewish elders to go to Jesus on his behalf. Now, what these elders do is really interesting. They, they plead earnestly with Jesus to do this thing for this Roman captain. I think that again, this is a good picture of what prayer is. In the Gospel of Luke, which I've I've taught this before, but when you study Jesus' words on prayer, he, he doesn't paint this kind of, this kind of um, tepid, laid back style of prayer Jesus teaches through stories that that we would be people who who pray earnestly and fervently and consistently and in ways that are uh, almost the, the word that you could use is bothersome to God. He tells these parables that say, you just keep coming to God and you come with things that seem unrealistic and you do it in my name and God will answer my prayers. And here we see a little bit of a picture of that. They, they plead earnestly with Jesus. But, but here's what's so interesting about these Jewish elders is they plead earnestly. They plead earnestly because they, they think that this man deserves For Jesus to do this thing for him. And they say that he deserves it for two reasons. He likes Jewish people. He's kind to the Israelite nation, but also because he built the synagogue. And that would have been super rare. And it it, it may mean that he was the highest donor. It may mean that he was the sole donor or it might, I mean, maybe he picked up a hammer and nails, but it's more likely he's the biggest contributor to their religious building in town. He, he helped build their church in other words. And so they look at Jesus and they, they plead earnestly because they say in their minds that this man deserves for Jesus to do this miracle for him. Now, it sounds kind of right to our human thinking, I think. Like, well, yeah, obviously. I mean, sure he's Roman and a lot of the Jews would have been, uh, there would have been bigotry against the Roman people, any non-Jewish people, really. And and so maybe like we could see that, you know, that they wouldn't have liked it, but but look what he's done for them. I mean, he's done this incredible thing. And so if anybody, any Roman, you know, in their minds deserves this, this incredible gift of healing a highly valued servant, then, it is, then it's this man. And we would be like, so he deserves it, right? But what follows is incredible. I mean, I think this is really the meat of the story, what we're about to look at. It's incredible. In verses six through eight, it says, so Jesus went with them. First, I just want to point out how amazing Jesus is. Um, I think that's important in every sermon for me to do because because here the cultural norm would be for Jesus to not go because the man's Roman. Uh, And a lot of the Jews hated the Roman people. And so it would have been more normal for Jesus to say, hey, I'm here to interact with my Jewish brothers and sisters. I'm not going to heal your servant. But Jesus immediately goes. And I like the way that one person uh, describes it Jesus refuses to draw lines between insiders and outsiders. He's like, there's faith here and I'm going to go and I'm going to help this man. Uh, we serve an amazing God who, who is not concerned with how badly you've sinned, with, you know, what home you grew up in, with, uh, you know whether you've rejected Him for years and years and years, whether you come from the right nationality or race, we we serve a God who does not worry about all of that. He is just concerned with having you enter into a relationship with Him through faith. And I think that is, that is pretty incredible. When you contrast that to to us who are humans. I mean, we are always unintentionally or intentionally playing the kind of inside outside game. I mean, we make split decisions based on people's clothing here in America on whether or not we'll connect with them or not. But our God, when he was living in human form, did not make a distinction. He just saw faith and said, I'm going to go and be with that person. That is pretty incredible. But what this man says is maybe not as incredible, but also incredible, and it shows us why he becomes an example for what it takes to have a great faith. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, his words are, therefore I did not presume to come to you. He recognizes what the Jewish elders did not, that he is unworthy to be connected to Jesus. He is unworthy. And here's what we need to understand this morning. The first half is that faith recognizes that we are unworthy. Faith recognizes that in and of ourselves, we are not worthy to have Jesus do anything in our lives. Faith recognizes that in and of ourselves, we are not worthy to enter into a relationship with God, to be in the presence of God, to to have a future with God. We are unworthy of absolutely all of that. But what is so cool is that we don't live in the same way that the centurion man did because listen to Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4 says that, that we, even though we're unworthy, can come to God and ask him to help us just like this man did. But just like this Roman captain, we must first recognize that we are unworthy. Because the gospel story says that we are all sinners. We've all rejected God. We've all turned our back on God. We've all done things that God did not want us to do. But the great story of God, and the great story of Jesus is that he looked down and said, I have to do something about that. So he came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus, born at Christmas. He lived a sinless life. And at the end of that sinless life, he paid the punishment for our sins. He was dead and then he came back to life. And that all means that despite being unworthy, We have access to a relationship with God simply by doing what the centurion did before a lot of that happened, by placing our faith in Jesus, by believing that Jesus can do things that we can't see, that we can't feel, that we don't deserve, that Jesus can overcome all of our fallenness. That's how we enter into a relationship with Him. And then we can approach the throne of grace. And it is only by grace that we can fall at Jesus' feet and ask Him to help us with the things that we struggle with. Faith recognizes that we are unworthy. And then this other thing, man... He basically is like, you don't need to come over to my house. You just can heal right from where you are. And what is he basing this on? He's basing this on the fact that he understands what it means to have authority and power. He says, I am a man under authority and I can tell people what to do. Basically saying, look, here's what I get. Here's what I get. I get that because I am uh, an employee of the Roman government, that there are a hundred people plus all the Jewish people that he's ruling over there in Capernaum. There's there's a lot of people who have to do exactly what I say because of the authority that I fall under. And he looks at Jesus and he recognizes the authority of the Father in heaven over his life. And he sees that Jesus has power because, because the Father has given him a power, he has power to do ex- anything and everything that he wants. I mean, I would say that the authority comes from God and extends to everything. Jesus can heal, he can touch, he can fix whatever he chooses to heal and touch and fix because he has the authority to do so. Robert Stein, who wrote a book on the Gospel of Luke, says true faith realizes that God can heal apart from rituals, special ointments, touch, or monetary gift to the healer. The centurion realized that all Jesus needed to say was a single word. His faith in Jesus was absolute and unlimited. No doubt Luke would long for his readers as well as for the church today to have such faith. Great faith begins, it starts by recognizing that we are unworthy and yet, at the same time, God is trustworthy when we place our faith in him. That's exactly what this man does. And then we read Luke 7, 9, and 10. I read 9 to you already. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and tur- turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant Well, In Luke's writings, when Jesus turns and faces a crowd, it's usually uh, a phrase that he kind of gives to emphasize. And here, here we're emphasizing this incredible faith. Jesus is going to make a declaration that this man has the greatest faith that he has seen even in Israel, which should be the people of faith because they had access to God that this man did not have. And And there's this, I put these questions, I think they're important. I mean, what did this man possess that all of the religious leaders lacked? I mean, what did he have that all of the men who had access to the presence of God in a very full way didn't have? What did he know that all of the women who knew the Bible stories, the stories of God inside and outside didn't know? What did he have? What did he know? What did he possess that they didn't? And it's simply this, he knew that he was unworthy. And God was trustworthy. There is no magic to a great faith. It's a simple recognition that I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve for God to do anything for me. I don't deserve to have him do anything for me. But yet, despite that, I will trust that when I come into a relationship with him, he will always do the best thing for me. Great faith begins with the recognition that we aren't worthy, but God is trustworthy to do the best thing in our lives always. No matter what he chooses to do, it's the best thing. Great faith, marvelous faith understands that we are unworthy and God is trustworthy. I started to think about this concept and I just, you know, it took like a minute to think about the incredible men of the scriptures, men and a woman here, I'll include in my examples, but the incredible men and women in scripture that we would say, I wanna have a great faith like them. And it's so clear that for them, it starts with this recognition that they are unworthy and God is trustworthy. Think about Moses, if you know the story of Moses. He's like, I can't speak well but God is trustworthy and I'll go talk to Pharaoh and ask him to release his slaves. Think of King David. I'm completely lost without God, but God is trustworthy and I will be his king and lead other people. Think about Mary, the very mother of Jesus. I'm just a servant, she says, but God is trustworthy and I'll raise his son. And think about the apostle Paul I'm just a sinner, but God is trustworthy and I'll take his story of salvation to everyone. This is the first step in becoming a Christian. It's saying, look, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to have a relationship with God, but I believe he's trustworthy. And so I will place my faith in the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and all that it can do for me to offer me salvation. That's what it takes to become a Christian Christian. But as you look around and you face some of the things that we are facing today, whether it be uh, the fear of COVID-19, we look around and we say, look, God, I'm not I'm not worthy for you to help or keep me safe or anything like that, but I will trust that no matter what, you're going to do the best thing for me. Or, or if you're scared of the economic situation or you don't have a job right now, you go, look, I'm not worthy to have you help me or provide for me, but I'm going to trust that you will. Uh, or maybe it's the the political things going on and you're you're thinking about November already and you're you're scared but you just look at God and you say well, you know even as a nation we are not worthy for you to to lead us in the right direction or the best direction but we're going to trust that at least for us those uh, for those of us who are Christians that you are going to protect us and help us and keep moving us forward that is exactly where great faith starts Here's here's the question I would just say that you need to start asking yourself. Whenever something isn't the way that you want it to be, whenever you look around at your life and you're like, you know, my, my buddy's sick or I'm sick or I'm scared or my health isn't good or my job is bad or this isn't going the way that I want it to go. Whenever you, whenever you face those types of things in life, I think you need to look in the mirror and you need to ask yourself just this question. Do I believe that God is trustworthy despite me being unworthy? Do I believe that God is trustworthy despite me being unworthy? And if you'll learn to say yes to that question, then I believe you will start to become a great person of faith. Let me pray that that'll happen. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, that we don't have to be worthy to have a relationship with you. I thank you, God, that we don't have to be worthy in order to to come uh, to a place, to come before you, God, and ask for your help and mercy in times of need and struggle, Lord. I thank you for your incredible grace and love that would come down and die for our sins so that we might have access to you, Lord. And I pray that we would take full advantage of it. God, for those in front of me right now, those listening, watching online, God, I pray that if if any of them have not committed their lives to you in faith, that they would do so now. God, that, that they wouldn't look for some magical moment. They wouldn't look for... Wait for, God, uh, you know, some bright, shining sign. But they would just, God, in the quietness of their soul, recognize their unworthiness and realize that you are the only one who is trustworthy, God. Trustworthy to take care of us now and for eternity. I pray for those of us who are Christians, Lord, that we would have great faith and that this morning you would help us to move towards that by reminding us, by teaching us, by showing us, by convicting us of the fact, God, that you are trustworthy despite the fact that we are unworthy. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.